In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, oh, please be seated. Well, good morning. Well, can we be real with each other this morning? Can we just be honest about the difficulty of, you know, just being human? I know almost everybody here has heard that there are certain fruit of the Spirit that are supposed to mark our emotions, right? Love, joy, peace, gentleness. And you don't have to be in church very long, do you, before you realize, oh, those are the only emotions the spiritual Christian is supposed to be manifesting. But the psalm that we had this morning was, uh, paints a rather different picture, doesn't it? Here is David the psalmist. He's a man after God's own heart, and he's manifesting this whole range of emotions. And even more, he's openly having this argument with God about what he is feeling. So let me invite you this morning to take out the handout that I've given you and open that up. And I invite you to look again at Psalm 38, beginning at verse 6. It's in your handout there. Psalm 38, verse 6. Look what David says about his emotional state. He is crushed, depressed, irritable, agonizing, anxious, sighing, exhausted, and without hope. Huh. Wow. Well, taken collectively, I know that really there are probably at least two generations here this morning. Now, on the one hand, some of us here belong to the John Wayne generation. Just get over yourself, pilgrim, and man up. Now, as much as I love that guy, the truth is that his directors, most of the time, required him to portray about as much emotional depth as a cardboard cutout. <laughs> and the only interior look we were often given is this sort of grim resolve rooted somewhere down there in anger. But on the other hand, some of us here this morning are of a newer generation that are not only in touch with their emotions, but they have often canonized them and beatified them. If I feel it, that's justification enough for me to act upon it. And if I don't feel it, well, that's no concern of mine. But this, I think, is more troubling even still. There is this perception that for better or for worse, I must be defined by what I feel. So I would ask you the question this morning, what is the Christian way to be truly and fully human? Now, I only have a very few brief thoughts this morning, and I, my PhD is not in psychology, that much I promise you. But I hope that some of these thoughts you will find helpful and useful to you this morning. I'd like to start with this thought. I'd like to start with the thought of the importance, the importance of our emotions. I cannot pretend that they are not there. Let me give you a few reasons why that is. Now, first of all, I'd like to say this for all you emotion deniers out there like me. 
We can at times forget that emotions are part of the very nature of God himself. We share many of the very same emotions with God. In the person of Jesus Christ, God experiences anger, joy, sorrow, exhaustion, pain, and much more. And I've given you several verses there that illustrate that. Secondly, think about this. Let's note that experiencing emotions is part of what it means to be human, to be alive. Emotions are intended by God to be an essential part of the good life he wants you to have. God wants you to have joy, satisfaction, and pleasure. That's part of God's will for your life. And he intends for you and me to find joy in being alive. Now thirdly, it's essential for the Christian to be aware of his or her own emotional condition. Just as we saw with David in Psalm 38, part of living the spirit-filled life is taking time to acknowledge and then to deal with our inner emotions. Here's the thing about emotions. They're like the elephant in the room. They don't go away just because everybody's trying to ignore them. Have you ever heard your coworker say, I am not stressed? Right. You see, if we try and deny our emotions, they don't deny us. They simply go underground and they begin a guerrilla warfare against our inner person. Now, I'd like to ponder that point just a little farther. Okay, I know I am old and bald and funny looking. But I do have this privilege as your pastor. I have the privilege of getting to know you and getting to know some of you quite closely and to love you in Jesus' name. And as I look out at this congregation this morning, my heart is actually broken for some of you. You have experienced deep wounds in your life. And the emotions that rightly and naturally arise from those wounds are still with some of you here this morning. Oh, now you may think that you have them well covered up and stowed away somewhere, but I promise you, they're still with you. They've gone underground, and they're making war against your soul. They're trying to jeopardize your spiritual well-being. Now, you may think that you have control of your emotions, but unacknowledged and undealt with, they are, in fact, controlling a lot of what you do and say. As it turns out, sometimes others are more aware of our inner emotions than we are.
Well, how is that? How is it that emotions can affect our behavior even in unintended ways? Well, I think the how that is, is because emotions are the seat of our motivations. We operate out of our emotions. The source of our willing and our desire is our emotional being. Now, I'd like to think that Henry is this totally rational being. I dispassionately consider a matter. Then I rationally choose a good course of action. And then I sit back and think, oh, don't I feel good about what I just did? But you know what the truth is? Here's the truth. More often than not, I feel, I choose, and then I make up some rationalization for why I did what I did. Now, in a perfect world, in the Garden of Eden, it was not a problem. Feeling, choosing, doing. In that world, a totally healthy, integrated person was integrated in the mind, the body, and the emotions, and they were all properly related to one another, and they were existing in harmony with one another. But that's not the world that we live in today. See, today, Henry's problem and yours are disordered emotions. Now, Paul wrote to Titus, and he described the emotional condition of the Cretans. And that condition is the condition of every one of us here this morning if we only have the honesty to face it. Look what Paul says in Titus 3, 3. I've given it to you in your handout there. Here's what he says. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. You see, at the emotional level, we are not what we ought to be, but we are what we ought not to be. To put it another way, if you and I just go with our gut, we're going to spend a lot of our life having an upset stomach. Well, what does spiritual transformation actually have to do with our emotional life? Quite a lot, actually. Let me say this to my fellow John Wayne types out there. You see, spiritual transformation is not a call to stoicism. It's not a call to running around with a stiff upper lip. Quite to the contrary. Spiritual transformation is a call to emotional maturity. First of all, note this. The growth to emotional maturity is not the growth to some place where we have the absence of emotions. But rather, it is growth toward the goal of wholeness and health in our emotional being. 
The goal of emotional maturity is to be fully aware of our emotions and to bring them under control of a spirit-filled mind. The Bible calls this a spirit of sophrosune. That's the Greek word for it. But note this, this can only be done by the empowering of God's Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. In that very same letter that Paul wrote to Titus, he explains why there's hope for the Cretans. Otherwise, he would have said, Titus, just come home. They're unfixable. Here's the reason. It is the grace of God. Look at Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, that's the same word there, sophosunos, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now here's the third thing. Emotional maturity is brought about as one certain emotion reigns supreme over all the others. Do you remember? Some of us are old enough to remember. It was a song that took the world by storm. Hal David and Burt Bacharach, 1965, and it has been recorded and re-recorded by dozens of artists for the last 50 years. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. You know what the universal appeal of that song is? It speaks a universal truth. Love is indeed what the world needs and longs for. But as the collapse of the social order of the baby boomer generation proves, not just any love will do. The love that transforms our emotional being into life and health is the love of God. And what is that love? It is the love that comes down from God that has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and the love that heart reflects back to God. So, how are you doing in your emotional life this morning? Paul says, I was able to overcome discouragement in life because I practiced renewing the inner man every day. Can you say the same thing? Well, as we close here this morning, I would like to suggest some practical practices that lead to emotional health and inner emotional renewal. Here's the first one. Get connected to the body of Christ. You see, we were made to live in community. Now, I know we all show up here on a Sunday morning, but God intended for us to be more than people inhabiting a common space for an hour 
a week. It simply is not possible for a person to live a full, balanced, and complete emotional life if we are not connected to other people. When we're connected to God's people, as others live and enjoy life, so we become more connected fully to life. And we begin to live our lives through them, and they through us. We are connected as one body. Here's a second practical practice. Learn to bear one another's burdens and then let others bear some of yours. Now, this happens in several ways. Life is full of plenty of emotional bumps and bruises, great big ones and kind of small ones. Brothers and sisters can find comfort and can give comfort in the dailies of life. Think about it. How helpful is a smile, an encouraging word, a listening ear? I mean, those aren't any great things, but when they're offered and received in the body, they can transform life from some cold, raw existence to a place where you can say, yeah, I think I'm going to make it this week. To bear one another's burdens also means to seek good counsel. The fact is, our emotions are deceiving. Often things that seem like giant emotional issues to us inside our brain can be put in their proper light by the wise insights of another brother or sister. And likewise, those emotions that seem so powerful as they're just about to sweep us overboard, they can be seen for the dangers they are in light of the counsel of a friend. To bear one another's burdens also means to share deep griefs. Now, grief is natural. It will attend every life at some time or another. Jesus wept. Grief cannot be buried. It cannot be avoided. It must be born through and lived out. But with the assistance of others, it can be born until a new day dawns. Here's my third practical suggestion. There are times when absolution is an absolute necessity. Okay, all right, yes, we are a Protestant church. And yes, this year we are going to celebrate the Reformation, okay? But note well the wisdom of the church that God has given power to his ministers to declare forgiveness of sins. You see, friends, sometimes our sins are grievous enough that we actually need another person, one that we can see and one that we can hear, to declare to us 
face-to-face God's forgiveness and our release from guilt. Now, for the sake of the purity and the well-being of God's purpose, God has selected some in the church to do that. It's priests. But there are some people here this morning that are bearing burdens of guilt that Jesus says you have a right to be released from. My office is open. You can call me, and I will be pleased to meet with you in complete confidentiality. Fourthly, a practical practice. Practice setting your affections where they cannot be shaken. Now, the goods of this world, they are enjoyable. And yes, God says we can receive them with glad and thankful hearts. But don't forget this. All these goods come with their own inbuilt sadness. It's inescapable. Even for those things that don't rust or don't fade or don't require us to paint them every five years, even those things, soon we get too old to enjoy them anymore. Sad, isn't it? You see, the challenge is to view the goods and the blessings of this world as a good means toward a true end, which is to love God and enjoy Him forever. Fifth practice. This is a really radical idea. I hope you're not looking at your cell phone. Why not, why not take an occasional fast from the news outlets? TV, radio, internet, and your mobile phone. Think about it. 24 hours a day, we're bombarded by media news. And while they promise something exciting and fun and satisfying, more likely what is happening is they're engendering in our inner person anxiety, outrage, and anger. And you know, for most of the things on the news, there is no proper outlet for those emotions. Most of the things we hear, we cannot do a thing about, except to stew and fume in our own juices. And not enjoy the God that whispers to us, it's okay, I got it all under control. Now, yes, there's a time for every matter under heaven, okay? There's a time to vote and a time to write your congressman. There's a time to canvass the neighborhood and a time for signing petitions. But if your steady diet, day after day, is such things, it may be that what you're doing is handing over your emotional life to others will be happy to abuse you for the sake of the ratings. Here's my last suggestion. Take care of your physical body. 
take care of your physical body. You see, the physical body's welfare is intimately connected to your emotional welfare as well. Which means that bodily problems can adversely affect your emotional state. And the reverse is also true. A broken heart can be sickness to the bones. So care for your body. Proper rest, nutrition, and exercise. And when you do that, you're actually caring for your emotional welfare as well. But let me add this. If you are experiencing extended periods of depression or anxiety, more than three or four weeks, then see your doctor, okay? Because what may be happening is your body might be involved in this, and it's not involved as your emotional ally, but your emotional enemy. Well, life is difficult. There are many ups and downs. But here's my prayer for each of you this morning. That God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. Which love surpasses all knowledge? so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen.